This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hey Bernice, where are we heading this morning? We are in Causeway Bay in a shopping mall called Times Square. And we're here to get some bubble tea. Interested? No, I haven't had it in a long time. I remember it's very sweet, but let's give it a go. There's cheeso tea. Taiwanese bubble tea is a drink of perfectly mixed tea, milk, syrup, tapioca pearls, and toppings. Oreo boba. (gasps) Yeah, Oreo boba. Thanks to the chewy pearls, it's actually a drink you can eat, and it's been sweeping around the world. Within a 500-metre radius, or around half a mile of where we are in Hong Kong, we can count about a dozen bubble tea stores. Depending on what time you go, you'll have to be prepared to wait. Lines of customers wanting to get their hands on the highly caffeinated drink can stretch a far distance. I am willing to wait for my bubble tea for an hour. Are you a fan of bubble tea? Maybe not as big as him, but he's not alone when it comes to being addicted to the drink. So we're going to find out why this drink is so popular by digging into how it was created. So when she came back, she just bought a, a bag of fenyuan and then added into the milk tea and then create bubble tea. We speak to a big fan of the drink who actually had bubble tea on his wedding day. Rather than champagne, which doesn't mean too much to us. And some bigger fans who later started their own bubble tea business, hoping to bring this drink from the Asian community to the American mainstream. All we're saying is, hey, milk tea, first of all, is European, it's British. And the tapioca, it's, it's like a gummy bear, which every American has had. Why can't you put, just put the two together? And finally, to find out why bubble tea has become such a huge hit in North America, we speak to a sociologist. So I see bubble tea as a small symptom of a very large transformation. Which is the rise of China as a major economic and a cultural power. This is Eat Drink Asia. I'm Alkira Reinfrank. And I'm Bernice Chan. Stay with us. So I was really excited when I found out that Chen Shui Tang, a Taiwanese tea house, is opening a new restaurant in Hong Kong. Because as we know, bubble tea comes from Taiwan, and they're the first ones to serve it. So can you tell us how bubble tea was invented? Uh, it was back to 36 years ago. My father established a traditional tea store selling traditional high mountain oolong tea. This is Angela Liu, the daughter of Liu Hanche, who invented bubble tea in the early 1980s. After a visit to Japan where he saw coffee served cold, Mr. Liu was inspired to bring something different to tea as well. So in the summer, he was thinking, well, Maybe he can do something different. So um, he combined traditional tea and infused with Western tea bar, like a cocktail tea, using the shaker to turn hot tea into iced tea. And that's the first point that we, um, I think it's kind of revolution in tea history because no one ever served chilled tea at that time. People think we are crazy (laughs) because no one is drinking iced tea. The traditional tea is is hot. But young people started to show up at their store for chilled tea, which was the perfect drink to cool down in the warmer months. But after people got used to the new temperature... Now we're thinking, how can we make make it more um, interesting? 
And we know the tea history that actually uh, in ancient time, the people adding different materials like flowers, like different ingredients into it. So we are thinking, okay, now what we can we do? So Mr. Liu set up a challenge for his staff. Add something new to the tea to make it different. One day, his product development manager, Lin Xiu Hui, brought Fen Yuan, a typical Taiwanese dessert, to work. Because she liked Fen Yuan. So when she came back, she just bought a, a bag of Fen Yuan. Fen Yuan is a kind of tapioca pudding. Just for fun, she poured the tapioca balls into her iced milk tea and drank it. And then create bubble tea. And they, they, they love it. So she sell it for, for one week. <laughs> And then tell my father, hey, I have a very good product for you. The customers like it very much. They sat down and had a brainstorming meeting to officially name the beverage. So they're thinking that maybe pearl is a, is a, is a better description of this kind of ingredients because it's, it's like pearl, black pearl. In Chinese, we, pearl, we call it pearl milk tea. And I know in English, it's named bubble tea. There you have it, the birth story of bubble tea. Wow, that's only like 35 years ago. Well, Chen Shui Tang started serving chilled tea in 1983, and it wasn't until four years later that Lin randomly poured tapioca pearls into her drink. And now it's bubbling up around the world. Hello, can you hear me all right? Hey, Chris, yeah, it's Alkira from SCMP. How are you going? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Have you had a milk tea today by chance? To trace the tea's journey, I called Christopher Chung, a reporter and bubble tea lover based in Canada. I work for an online news magazine in Vancouver called The Tai, and that was the place where I was able to first write my bubble tea story and unpack how it came to North America and also how it's evolved. Now, Bernice said that uh, you also had bubble tea on a very special day. Yes. Yeah. So I, I actually had bubble tea on my wedding day. So after my wife and I's uh, wedding ceremony, we, we took some photos. And then after that, we, we had specially um, reserved some space in the afternoon that we'd be able to go and have bubble tea with our wedding party. So, um, you know, rather than rather than champagne, which doesn't mean too much to us, we decided um, that we both wanted to have a milk tea on our wedding day. Right on. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's Bubble tea's been, well, it started in Taiwan. It eventually made its way over to the US. Are you able to chart or is there a, a time when you can say it really exploded in North America? Yeah, it's it's really hard to say um, for North America in general, but for Vancouver, we only began to have chains in 2015. I think that was about May. So chains like Cha Time and, and Coco and Gong Cha and Shiny Tea, they began coming over here. Uh, but I know that in, in California and in New York, they had the chains a, a couple of years earlier. So I think it's, it's really only been um, in recent years that there's been a lot of entrepreneurs who are moving to places where there there is a large population of the East Asian diaspora and they're they're bringing over a lot of those franchises that have been popular in Taiwan and in mainland China whereas before it was usually a mom and pop that would be selling bubble tea. All right so we're getting boba family Oreo boba. Small. Oh come on. All right. Oh, okay. well, no, 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 no. You're paying. No, we'll get some. Many people like Chris 
Bubble tea used to be a drink to grab with friends after school from small snack shops. Now it can be found in mainstream shopping malls, served in all different flavours, colours and even in specially designed cups, making it perfect for social media. The drinks would, uh, you know, they, they'd be branded very, very heavily. They look very aesthetic. The drinks, they would layer different colors on top of each other. And because there's so many different toppings, like from, from the jellies to the tapioca, uh, they're able to um, make it look very appealing. And it's something that's able to exist online as well. So I think those, those tricks um, make it quite exciting. And so whenever there is a new one that does open here, uh, everybody has to go, everybody lines up on it. And you'll, you'll begin to see it filter down on Facebook and on Instagram uh, and the lines go out the door. What do you think caused that change, that shift for it to explode though? Can you see anything happening around that time? Mm-hmm. I think it's two things. Um, first, I, I, I think just the rise of people will be more interested in food and, and foodies and, and Instagram in general. And then the second thing is, uh, I, I, I was talking to some friends about this, like why, why we enjoyed bubble tea so much. And a lot of my friends, uh, we, grew up, we grew up in North America, but uh, we, we were all of uh, East Asian heritage. And I think there's just something about being in these places. It's, it's kind of like a, a, like a coffee shop or bar, but there's a lot of connection with uh, Asian culture. So, so whenever I went to one in high school, they'd be playing music from overseas. Uh, we'd, we'd often hear Jay Chow, a lot of other mando pop and canto pop in them too. It was nice to have this, like a physical place for us to tap into that identity of, of being Asian while still having grown up here. So I think that definitely has a lot of appeal that it was this thing that was our own. Bubble tea is short till it's frothy. Since my first tea house forgot about the coffee. You know you miss it. 626 living. Boba land the 49th assembly district. Met a boba queen straight from Taiwan. Cooked the pearl perfect. Had to put it in a song. You only drink boba? You know I love it all. I also drink lights. I'm a pop from Hong Kong. A place that's your own where you feel like you belong. It's the izakaya to the Japanese, the beer garden to the Germans, and the pub to the Australians. Food and drink is often associated with ethnicity, but some have stronger attachments to their origin than others. For example, you don't necessarily think of Southern Italy when you eat pizza. In the case of bubble tea, we talk to two guys who sell this drink and believe it can transcend its Asian roots. Uh, We were very intentional about not preaching to the choir. This is Boba Guys, Andrew Chow and Bin Chen. If you live in the San Francisco and New York area, you've probably heard of them. Andrew and Bin started a bubble tea pop-up in 2011. Now they're one of the largest bubble tea chain stores in the US, with 15 outlets, each selling around 1,000 cups of bubble tea every day. We knew that we could get easy uh, customers if we were like in Chinatown or a very like predominantly Asian uh, community. But if we were in the Mission District, which is, if you don't know, it's like kind of a more hipster, hip, like younger area. We could be reaching a lot of people that were foodies and knew the current trend. So we knew if we could reach them, then it could probably reach a bigger audience. And so we were very intentional about where we started. And so how do you go from uh, two guys that just like to drink bubble tea to actually creating uh, one of the biggest uh, bubble tea shops in, in America? That is, that's the question we ask ourselves. <laughs> we, <laughs> 
So high level, Ben and I always thought we were maybe going to do a boba shop or startup together. We we worked at the same company. We had always gotten along and we had a very similar palette. One day we were just looking at like boba and we're like, why don't we do something with boba? And then it eventually became like an idea. And then we said, why don't we do it like a pop-up? We had a friend in the same neighborhood that did a very famous pop-up um, called Mission Chinese. And so the first time we did it, we were like, oh, we'll make 200 drinks. We'll see whatever we have left over. We just bring it home and we'll drink it ourselves. And um, we sold it all 200. And I remember the first day, we were really, really lucky. And then we were both working full-time jobs for three and a half years until um, it just got so crazy that we, we were looking at each other and we're like, man, we're getting beat. All our friends were saying we look tired. We're like, we got to do this either full-time or we just shut it down. And um, we obviously uh, decided to quit our jobs and do it full-time. And then from there, I, I think we just we – just, it's been a while a wild ride that we just never really thought would happen. Were you guys kind of one of the first bubble tea shops to, to I guess, to push it into mainstreaming and out of Ch- Chinatown um, and across America? We haven't really figured it out. Um, I don't think we'll ever figure it out. But what we did know was, um, I don't know if you listen to music, but Ben and I, we always talk about, we were big fans of art and culture and music. And we knew it's like a remix or like a mashup where where you take something old and you make it new. And you're like, why did James Brown sound so dated? But if you remix them and you added certain things, you could bring them back to life. Um, or why is something a classic and, um, and it stays the way it is? What makes that um, the sound of the 70s and not the sound of the 90s? And I think drinks are very similar. We felt like the core of the DNA of boba and dr- the drink itself is it's a street food drink. You know, if you go to like a food hall or a, a, a street food market in China or in Taiwan or in Asia, you, you'll see half of the stalls are drink stalls, they're beverages. Yet in America, if you go to like um, out here, it's called Off the Grid or Smorgasburg and all these like food truck destinations, none of them are ever drinks. Nobody really has a strong drink culture here. When you are an American, you drink black tea. That's what you drink. You don't know how to drink a um, an oolong or a pu'er. So we were like, could there be something in which we take something from an older generation or a specific market and remix it and package it in a way that makes it accessible into a new sound? So I read online that uh, Boba Guys has been described as bubble tea for white people. What do you think of that characterization <laughs> then? <laughs> Go um, for it, Andrew. Get them. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little more of the um, outspoken one of us two, if you can't tell already. Um, and so in the first three years, here's what really has happened. In the first three years of Boba Guys, we started in 2011. 2011 to 2014, I can't tell you how many times I felt like people said that direct line to us you know they would either mutter it to us or they put on a review or um they would say and if you know you're Cantonese or Mandarin they're like oh this is like boba for guaylos like they're just the people who usually said that were like Asian people they're like it's boba for white people and you're not doing real traditional boba you're 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 bastardizing the culture um it's diet culture that's kind of what we heard that I heard that so much and Ben and I were just like, well, you know, we just got to do our own thing. Nobody says that about Chipotle. Nobody says Chipotle 
isn't real Mexican. It's just its own category. It's tech specs. But now that we're, I would say, in the mainstream and crossed over, it's actually the opposite. I would say now it's not. People are like, wow, you guys are like a Trojan horse for culture. You guys are the, through Boba guys, you're able to teach Americans a lot about culture. When people used to say, oh, Boba, milk tea is such an Asian thing. We're like, well, actually, if you break it down and you want to make it accessible, milk tea is a European drink, first of all. You know, came from, you know, the British actually was the one that taught Asia how to drink milk tea. And the tapioca and the desserts and the sago and all the puddings, those are, those are Southeast Asia. But even if you look at cassava, that's South American too. A Trojan horse for culture? That's an interesting metaphor. Maybe that's one of the reasons why bubble tea is so popular. It has something familiar and unfamiliar to almost everyone. So it kind of follows the saying, something old, something new, something borrowed. And something bubbly? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and it's not only the milk or the topping. If you remember in the beginning what Angela said. I think it's kind of revolution in tea history because no one ever served chilled tea. What is very interesting is the temperature. It is very modern and I would say very Western to have a develop a taste for coldness. This is sociologist Krishnendu Ray. I'm uh, an associate professor and chair of the Department of Nutrition and Food Studies at NYU. It's a very different kind of a thing, the bubble tea, uh, compared to, say, hot food. Because, in a sense, if you just look back a little in the history of global exchanges, the taste for coldness uh, came to be associated as a very Western thing in most parts of the world. And cold, sweet drinks came with cheap sugar. And cheap sugar was really a product of African slavery that was controlled by the West. Uh, and so, uh, and then the first thing is cheap sugar. The second thing is cheap refrigeration, which comes with mostly with electricity and electrification. And in fact, the modern global taste for coldness has been a very Western thing for the last hundred years. And what is interesting about bubble tea is that it inverts that flow. It is a flow from east to west. It is cold, sweet, and has a textural contrast that people in the West are not used to. They're not used to chewing things in liquids. That's what Boba Guy said. Well, Boba, it's so exotic and it's chewy and you don't really chew drinks. Americans are not used to this stuff. All we're saying is, hey, milk tea, first of all, is European. It's British. And the tapioca, it's, it's like a gummy bear, which every American has had. Why can't you put, just put the two together? Oh, I want to eat the rest of the bubbles, but I can't get them up the straw. Hashtag <laughs> bubble tea problems. Yeah. Okay, it seems that we can all find some connection to bubble tea, but it's such a young drink, only created in Taiwan just over 30 years ago. I mean, look at other Chinese-American foods, such as chop suey, General So's chicken. It's taken those dishes almost a century to be accepted and to morph into the dishes we know today. But why is that? I'm glad you asked, because Professor Ray can explain why mainstream consumers like bubble tea so much from a socioeconomic perspective. Which is what I call uh, uh, a hierarchy of taste. The higher the class your food is associated with, it is easier to circulate in global circuits and acquire prestige. 
So to give an example with Italian food, when Italians were coming at the end of the 19th century to the U.S., most of the conversation about Italian food was how terrible it was, how garlicky and spicy it was, and how it made people drink alcohol. And you have to remember, this was around the time of Prohibition. And then Italian immigrants started climbing up the social ladder, and we started to see a large number of interesting and expensive Italian restaurants in the 1980s. The big difference between chop suey and uh, bubble tea is chop suey comes in as kind of a working class improvisation of Chinese immigrants in the West, especially in the U.S., while bubble tea is coming in through a totally different class structure, and the structure is the professional class, the educated class. That's why it is easier for it to acquire kind of a cachet, uh, while for the longest time, Chinese food, and even now, Chinese food in the West is mostly treated as cheap food rather than as prestigious food. And that's going to change, I think, and that's going to change quite substantially in the next 20 years. As the Chinese economy keeps growing, the out-migration of poor Chinese is going to eventually totally dry up. Happened exactly with the Irish, happened with the Germans, happened with the British, happened with the Italians, happened with the Greeks, and is now happening with the Chinese. But you're, you're basing this on the popularity of bubble tea. As you can tell, I was very skeptical. Yeah, so that's like, it's kind of in one instance, if you can see the world in a grain of sand. I would say this whole phase starts in the 80s with Japanese food uh, and moves on to Korean food uh, and now uh, a Chinese drink and then Chinese food. So and anything that has prestige in the East now acquires prestige in the West. By the way, that used to be true during, say, think about the Silk Road, think about silk and tea and opium and uh, spices. Uh, that was, say, 1500 to 18, 1800. But in the 1900s, in the 19th century and the 20th century, it was almost like everything Western had a very high prestige globally. And we are beginning to see the reversal of that tide. Uh, of fashion, of prestige flowing from east to west. And bubble tea is one almost um, almost like a trivial uh, drink, which is symptomatic of the rise of East Asia and the Pacific world. Basically, it's not a coincidence that we're seeing Crazy Rich Asians, the first Hollywood blockbuster featuring a majority Asian cast, while drinking a cup of bubble tea at the same time. What's exciting is that mostly Americans and the rest of the world are discovering uh, all these things from our childhood, like boba or Chinese food or Thai food or all these things that, are, that have been delicious for us and we grew up with are now becoming more mainstream. So These are the boba guys again. You're seeing all new takes on kind of old, old things that we've experienced growing up. But you're also seeing more representation across the board, not just in food and like with Crazy Rich Asians. We're in a really interesting time in our lives where you're seeing people that look like us uh, and sound like us and grew up like us are starting to be represented in all categories, not just in engineering or not just in uh uh, what else are Asians known for? Kung Fu. Yeah, and in the tech world. Um, and so I think that's what's really exciting. I mean, it's cool to be Asian. 
Now we're in the basement of Times Square and right, we're right in front of a bubble tea shop. And it's one of a dozen in the vicinity that we're in. And they come from all different parts of Asia. And this one got so many different flavors. So they've got Fruity Boom, they've got these fruit teas, grapefruit, orange, lemon. They've got uh, berry, strawberry. Uh, berry got- Bang, there's a Berry Bang. And very berry cheeso. Cheeso though. There seems to be cheese on a lot of these drinks. It's come a long way since the founder of Chen Shui Tang came up with his idea of tapioca balls thrown into milk tea. Yeah, it's so different, but I think it's also very much more high in calories now compared to when he made it with just milk and boba. But with so many bubble tea uh, shops opening in recent times, is bubble tea's bubble gonna burst? Are we in a bubble tea, boba, bubble, uh, <laughs> BBBB. Um, what people are not selling is a physical product anymore. They're selling not coffee. They're selling a culture. Is something a fad or is it going to, in some ways, establish itself? So we, we saw sushi emerge like that in the 1980s. It reached its peak and now it is almost flattening out, but it has become ubiquitous part of American culture. Some things have durability like that. And if you think about sushi, uh, which is, of course, coming from the Japanese, who would have thought that Americans would be eating so much sushi up? So the Sydney Mintz anthropologist who wrote an amazing book on uh, sweetness uh, and power, in fact, uh, he used to say uh, uh, people are very conservative, people are very resistant to change, changing their food habits until they change their mind. So now that we've learned so much about bubble tea, how has that changed your perception of the drink? I think it's really special. I I don't think I had an opinion about the drink before. I knew it was sweet, I knew it was highly caffeinated, and I knew there's always long lines for it. But now there's a cultural heritage element to it. And it's amazing how this is a modern uh, immigrant food story. What about for you? I found it interesting to hear about how it was created. It was kind of by accident. And how it has, you know, come about and become so popular. And best of all, we got to drink some bubble tea for it. Mm-mm. It is a dessert. It's delicious. I can see why people are lining up for it. From a quick cup. Make it tasty. Make it tasty. That's the end of our episode. If you're craving a bubble tea now, Bernice and I have clearly done our job. Yay! (laughs) The Eat Drink Asia podcast is produced by Yang Yang and Jared Watt. And we would like to give a big thanks to Angela Liu, Chris Chung, Bin Chen, Andrew Chow and Krishnandu Ray. Music is by Fung Bros. Make it tasty. And if you want to see photos from Chris Chung's wedding, where he's drinking some bubble tea with his wedding party, head to scmp.com. We've written a story to go along with our bubble tea podcast and you can see photos and hear more from our interviewees. And if you have any ideas for Eat Drink Asia, please tweet us at at Beijing Calling and at Alkira Reinfrank. Happy eating! Uh.